Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Thank you, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. We are brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis in farmers markets or co-ops and online, and you'd like to have larger national distribution, then you should look into Playing with the Big Boys, a combination online and live session course designed to get you there faster and cheaper. Distributors, co-packers, trade funds, what more do you need to know to grow? Get your details at kitchen2shelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Learn and grow, kitchen2shelf.com. I'm really pleased today to have with me a another great CPG entrepreneur, Matthew Perry. And Matt is from Adelaide, South Australia, which you'll get to figure out real quick in a couple of minutes, where for the last 10 years, he was part of a company that imported and launched health-focused brands in his state and nationally in Australia. After helping to launch hundreds of other people's brands in Australia, he wanted to do it for himself and so developed the Good Crisp Company. In January this year, along with his wife and three young girls, he relocated to Boulder, Colorado to focus on growing the Good Crisp Company in North America. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew Perry. Thank you very much. So, so Matthew, I, I, we always want to, uh, of course, talk about, you know, we, we want to talk about entrepreneurs as people. We want to talk about product. But I think the important thing to get started here is the definition of crisp for Americans. So I spent a couple of years in the UK, so I know chips and crisps are slightly different, but can you give us the rundown? Definitely. And so chips we would normally refer to in, in Australia and, and the UK as, as hot-cooked chips, what you, what you would call fries here in, in, in the US. We do refer to chips as potato chips, but crisps uh, for us, certainly has a, a more premium sound to it and, and generally does refer to in, in the industry of a canister style potato crisp. So that's what we wanted to go for when, when developing um, our, our brand name. But yeah, there, there is definitely a difference um, for, for what you understand as crisps and, and chips here. In fact, even more so with even the fries. One uh, funny story, when we first moved here with my with my three young girls, we would go out and we would order some a burger and, and that's how you want chips with that and say yeah of course you would um and then we'd get a packet of of you know potato chips which the girls just couldn't understand at all they were thinking in their mind they were getting fries so we, we quickly <laughs> learned that, that here uh even here in the u.s fries and chips are, are different whilst in australia we would use the the general term chips to sort of refer to to either a bag of chips or a you know some hot cooked chips <laughs> And yeah, it's 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 tough to tough to keep straight. There's a as we were talking about, we are countries uh, divided by a common language. So yes, exactly. Um, so uh, Matt, let me ask you about now for for those of the people who have maybe haven't seen or haven't gone to website or haven't seen them in store or whatever. Um, I would say the Good Crisp product line is is a healthy Pringles, and I know that's probably an insult, but to give people an idea, it's a canister product line right and what else about it besides non-gmo and all that good stuff yeah look it's fine we, we we're happy with the the we can't avoid the comparison so that's okay we, we've embraced it but it is it is an easy shorthand 
way of explaining what our product is. And essentially, we have all of the taste, all of the form. It's in the same canister, those things. But we just take all the nasty stuff out. So you're right. It's certified non-GMO, certified gluten-free. We use natural flavorings, um, no artificial colors. We don't use any MSG or any of those things. So uh, as we like to say, it's it's all of the taste, but none of the guilt that, that comes with the other canister chip brands. Um, and, and that really is, is the focus. How, how do we develop a product that is like Pringles that has all of that, um, just without the, the stuff that is really no longer relevant to, to myself and, and to other consumers. For sure. Um, now, Matt, you worked in Australia on a number of different different brands um what was the genesis or whatever of choosing a canister crisp um to bring to america so there's a bit of a combination of of the idea and then sort of just the connections um so uh, when we when we're thinking of this idea when i think of this idea i I was on a fairly strict gluten-free diet and and restricting some of the things that, that i ate for my own uh trying to work out my own sort of uh, food intolerances and as well i'd had some some young children and and wanted to as often happens when we become parents we start to really look at what we're feeding our kids and what we're giving them and and it becomes a new priority in their life so you know that was sort of my focus and my mindset at, at the time and and yet still trying to find snacks that i enjoyed and i remembered eating and and wanted to share those memories and those products with my kids so that was sort of the idea and the genesis which i'm sure a lot of people around around the world have, have had what allowed me to then be able to sort of turn that into an actual product was uh, one of the companies that, that we had been working with and do a lot of business in Australia with, um, based in Malaysia um, and had a relationship for over 15 years with, uh, was a, a canister chip manufacturer. And there's not that many in the world. There's literally only a handful or so of, of these manufacturers. And to have someone that has a really high quality product, really good attention to detail, um, and, and really was willing to work with us to develop um, the attributes that we needed was sort of the, the missing piece of the puzzle that was able to, to bring this product to life and to be able to focus on on um, the good Chris company and, and that kind of chip style product. And, and, and Matt, um, Boulder, so obviously an epicenter of disruptive food and, and healthy food and whatever else, is that was that the reason you chose Boulder or was it manufacturing reasons? No, it was definitely the the network, the, as you say, the epicenter. That's that's I, I refer to it as the the Silicon Valley of of natural food to some degree. <laughs> um, so we, we already had two employees that were based here. You know, our our lawyer was here and our accountant. So it it was just there's a great infrastructure there, and, and it probably isn't even something I fully appreciated till actually you know you theoretically know that, but when you move here and and you see you know the naturally Boulder networking sessions and all the different, um, you know, service providers are here and, and the different founders and companies that are all really in it together and willing to share. Um, it was even more so than, than I anticipated. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a great move. And to be frank as well, you know, th- there's worse places in the world to, to bring your, your family and, and to raise your kids here. So that, that was the other side of it as well. I mean, we come from a, a small beachside town in, in Australia. So whilst there's no beach here, you know, we're used to that smaller sort of town and that, that more relaxed lifestyle rather than sort of, you know, the middle of L.A. or New York or something like that. So that suited what we were used to as well. I kid with people that the food scene um, here in, in Boise, where I live, I, I say, you know, Boise is the new boulder. That's what we're that's yeah. what we're aiming for. So, you know, but yes, great place and, and home to lots of 
of great companies and lots of good support companies for getting you know a Definitely. brand off the ground as well. Um, so, man, how familiar were you with? And and I guess I have to ask the differences too between like in Australia is Australia more like the UK and the fact that you're dominated by one or two sort of grocers and food purveyors, or is it more like the U.S. was 20, 30 years ago when you had regional players, but not necessarily a quote-unquote national grocery store? Yeah, so you, the first one, absolutely. Um, it is very, very similar to the U.K. market. In fact, um, you know, the U.K. retailers, your Tesco's, your Sainsbury's, Asda, and, and the two major retailers in Australia, Coles and Woolies, basically switch buyers every couple of years. They just rotate around the same country. So that they are very, very similar models. Um, so in Australia, it is predominantly controlled by about, you know, upwards of 60 to 80% market share by two major retailers, uh, Coles and, and Woolworths. We have Aldi in there that is 10% of the market. Oh, yes. um, and then you have and then you have a lot of... Um, you know, independent stores, you know, which, you know, thousands of them, but, but between them have, you know, five, five at best 10% of the market. So uh, it is a very, very concentrated market. So, so when you looked at the U S did you, did you look at natural, natural channel to start with? And I mean, you're in Walmart, so clearly you did something right. Um, but that, how did you, how did you do the sort of landing on the beach idea when, when you brought the product here? Yeah, you're right. That the natural channel was was really what um, was appetising to me to bring the product to, to the US. So two two things were the population. So in Australia we have 25 million people with two retailers. Here you have you know 350 million people with with hundreds of, of retailers, and that's not even sort of talking about all of the the thousands of of independent co-ops and things like that as well. So you know. The, the market and the opportunity was was a lot stronger here. I I felt to, to get started, um, and and especially as you said, yeah, that that natural channel. Um, we we don't have that so much in Australia, and there's a couple. Population is is one the population size, but but also as well, the the conventional stores and brands have cleaned up their act. They're a little bit more forward thinking. Um, that is changing, um, but so so you know if I walk down the the chip aisle of of a, a conventional retailer, most of, of our chips would be gluten-free, no artificial colours and flavours, you know, no MSG, those sort of things, like certainly non, non-GMO. We don't have GMO products in Australia. So, you know, there isn't such a, a divide between the two. And, and I know here in the US, even now, that divide is getting closer and closer as more conventional retailers bring in more healthier uh, and better-for-you products. But we could see here when, when I looked at the US market that there was a really defined channel and especially for the product that, that we had, um, you know, a lot of the stores that, that we're in, we're the only canister chip um, in the whole store uh, because of those sort of uh, requirements around right. better for you and ingredients. So that really appealed to me to think, hey, there's, I can go after hundreds, thousands of retailers here where, where there's no other competition in that sense. Obviously, there's still competition for stomach and, and for snacks, but as far as format goes um that that i found attractive and thought it was worth uh the risk of coming here and uh you also of course are available on amazon right and through your website yes yep so let's talk about the behemoth let's talk about walmart for a minute 
Um, how, yeah. how, did, how did that happen and how has Walmart been treating you? So it's one of those uh, stories and, and you've, you've, you've probably got, got some in your life or you've certainly heard, heard from others where it's just one, it was one of the easiest things we've, we've ever done, you know, which is not what you, you expect. Um, so, you know, we, we, we built a business here for, for two or well, year and a half before we sort of even thought about Walmart and, and it, to be frank, we were very cautious of it and, and we thought, look, let's just, maybe we should just have a meeting with them because other brands that we knew had sort of started to deal with them and, and we were hearing good things. So we thought, look, let's just have a meeting. Let's, let's let them know what we're about and maybe it's something for another year or two down the, tr- down the track. So we found a, a great, uh, broker in, in Apex um, and, and Ben, the guys there are really, really good. And they said, yeah, look, let's just, let's just take the product into the buyer, leave it in front of him and, and see what he, he thinks. So that's what we did and, and got a phone back, phone call back saying, hey, look, guys, we're, we want to put this product in, in um, and uh, let, let's make this happen. It was literally like that. So, you know, it was uh, way before we were expecting it. Um, so it was definitely just sort of right place at the right time. Um, we're in the better for you gluten-free set of the store. Um, so I think they were looking to expand that at the time as well. And, yes. and our brand fit, fit really well with that. So it was just one, one of those things. You know, other retailers were, you know, spent years trying to get in and we talked to them and we just haven't been able to get anywhere. And, and here, you know, it just sort of literally, we didn't even take a meeting. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's worked well for us. And, and to answer your question, how does Walmart treat us? Really, really well. Um, so... You know, we're used to dealing with retailers that have a lot of market share and a lot of a lot of power. So we weren't necessarily worried from that perspective of dealing with Walmart, but more just about was the customer right? Is this the right place for us? But with their focus on better for you and natural and their support of smaller brands, um, you know, we haven't had any sort of concerns on that end and, and we look forward to continuing to grow with them in the future. You know, one of the things with Walmart, of course, is that you 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 quickly get your pricing right if you're with Walmart, so you don't have to worry about that for the rest of the the rest of the country. You know that that's that's already figured out. And there are some a, a number of brands that they've actually, um, you know, given a um, if, if you will, a little um, leeway to, and they've actually done quite well. And then there's been some other even larger brands that have gone in to do things and fallen flat on their face. But I I, I think that the two things. Um, one, of course, is logistical. Very important that you be able to, mm-hmm. you know, fulfill that from that point because it's 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 huge for them. And and the other with the Walmart, of course, is always price. But once you can get that all lined up and whatever, um, yeah, why not? Why not be there? Um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about also was um, the the idea of you said you've talked to a number of other. Um, other companies is did you get a pushback and kind of like oh you know we already have all the 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 chips and crisps and stuff that we need and we've got non-gmo and we've got these over here and whatever did you get that kind of a pushback of we just don't need this product the, the category is already full we didn't actually and that, and that was what gave uh, me the confidence to to move forward but that was definitely on top of our mind so once i developed the the product or essentially the concept that wasn't really even a, a, a product yet. Um, so I mentioned I, I came to an Expo West sort of with, with nothing just to have a look around and yep. see, you know, we mentioned about wanting to sort of launch my own brand. And that's when, you know, we saw 
I saw brands like Justin's Peanut Butter and this sort of these natural take on on conventional sort of brands. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That aligns with what I'm thinking about. Um, and so, you know, spent that 12 months working on a, a concept of, of a better for you canister chip um, and then booked a table essentially at Expo West. And so came back the following year, um, 2016, and just, just put everything on the table. I literally, you know, we didn't have any fancy booth. We didn't have anything. I just had a couple of uh, samples that I'd mocked up and literally wrapped with, with paper and, and, and sticky tape to sort of show you what you could see. We had a few past awesome. ideas that I thought might be good as well. And we just put all this stuff on the table um, and literally just sort of sat there and, and talked to people as, as they came past. Um, just to see what was of interest, what worked, what what resonated with them on on the different types of packaging, and it, it, I've I've never seen it before to be honest, where people would just sort of be walking down, then stop, and turn around and come back and say, "What is is that a healthy Pringle? Is that is that a is that a better for you canister chip?" Um, and I'd be like, "Yeah," and they'd almost push all the other products aside on the table and and really focus on that and say, "Wow, if you can do that, that's massive." You know, we've been I've been looking for that, I've been waiting for that. So. Um, that was sort of the the response that, that we got from the industry, and I mean, Expo's a massive, massive sort of um, place, as, as you know, with you know tens yeah. of thousands of people coming through. So it's a great way to test an idea and to get a lot of um, consumer um, and customer feedback really, really quickly. So um, you know, after sort of the first couple of days, I just I just knew in my gut that that there, there was no one else doing it at the moment, and there was a real opportunity here if we could get it right now. It also filled me with sort of a lot of um, dread because it, it's one thing to have a good concept and a good product, but it was all the other stuff I didn't know and, and, and how do I make sure it's right and get the tasting right and the packaging and all that. So I knew there was still huge amount of work to be done and, and to be frank, there still is, but the actual core belief that there here was a product that people wanted and an opportunity in the market, I just knew within myself after that expo that, that, that that's what we needed to do. That it was going to be a winner. Yes, the Expo, um, you know, obviously Expo East and West, but in, in particular West, because that's the one certainly I'm more familiar with and, and yeah. um, has been a great launching launching place. Um, in the late 90s, um, when Expo started, it, it, it literally was not probably even a third of the size that it is today. Um, yeah. And no big companies were there. I think the biggest company was Cliff Bar was the biggest company, right. and Cliff Bar wasn't as big as it was today. And you, there were. I remember downstairs there were a couple of guys over in the corner. And they had this cereal, and they called it Cashy. And yeah. you know, I went over and I tasted it, and frankly, just thought it was horrible. And I went, "Well, these guys aren't going to go anywhere. You know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if it's organic. I don't care if it has whole oats. It tastes terrible." And of course, time went by. They sold to Kellogg, and that's kind of kind of the story. But not probably three years ago, um, I was working with a, with a client at Expo and actually working a booth for the first time because usually I was just walking the show or having meetings. And I remember I walked in, and in the center, toward the ingredient side, there's this huge sign hanging from the ceiling that says Cargill. And, of course, that's one of the two dominating massive agricultural players in the United States, right? It's the ADM and Cargill. Right. And I went, uh-oh, well, this show has changed now. <laughs> it's changed yeah. a lot, you know. Uh, there there were there was a day they wouldn't have been let in there. <laughs> No, it's for sure. It is. It's. It's. I mean, when you, you go, and I think you know, it's 
80,000 people, 40,000 people coming through, you know, 4,000 exhibitors, etc. It's it's a really, really big show. There's, there's no doubt about it. But, but for us at the time and as an emerging brand, you know, this was three years ago, to sort of, you know, get in and get that sort of instant research. I mean, it saved me, to be frank, months of traveling around the country, visiting stores, talking to consumers, talking to, to retailers, to have them all there at that point. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was a great way to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it saves a lot of time, especially if you were flying from Australia to do that. Yeah, you definitely. To do it. Um, what about a, a little bit about other food products and stuff you worked with in Australia? What was your background like in, in CPG? Yeah, so we would uh, – so I, I did a marketing degree um, and then basically came straight out and, and worked for for a local company in, in my area, in my, my state, um, and then after a couple of years became a shareholder and a partner in, in, in that company. And really the focus was, yeah, we would we would import brands from, from outside. Obviously, we're, we're an island, so you know, we would bring other great products and ideas um, either from Southeast Asia, like I said, mentioned Malaysia or, or other parts of the world, um, and, and we would help launch them either nationally in, in with the, the major supermarkets we talked about or then even locally as well. So sometimes there would be brands that would be sold you know, through the major supermarkets but wanted to get into the independent market and things like that. So we would buy them and, and distribute them through. So, you know, it was, it was a great background there of sort of just dealing with, you know, to some degree uh, being a broker, being sort of a merchandise company, being a um, – you know, being a distributor as well, all of those different things, and then also being on the other side of, of being a going and, and presenting and, and pl- to some degree playing with other people's money and getting to learn. And, and you quickly learned what things did work, or, you know, as I said, you would see great products that, that you know, for some execution, for they didn't have enough money for marketing, or that the messaging wasn't quite right and it would fail, or you'd see other brands, you think, oh, that's not going to work, and, and yet they would get the the target consumer or the messaging just perfectly right and, and be able to narrow in and, and do that. So having that sort of exposure and, and dealing with, you know, because we were a small company and we're dealing with lots of things, you know, one day I'd be talking with, with Aldi, the next day you'd be talking to, you know, a Dollar General type store, and they show <laughs> you'd be out talking to a, a school canteen manager. So you sort of saw every different type of, of retailer as well and understand how, how they all work. So, so from that perspective, it was – you know, it was a great upbringing in, in the CPG world, sort of. It wasn't working for a big multinational where you are just, you know, you're the account manager for, for this retailer and, and that's all you do. We sort of managed to, to do a whole lot of things and be, you know, wear a lot of different hats, which, um, you know, has, has proved uh, me well sort of, you know, with this with my own business here now. But just, just sort of getting a feel of how everything all works and into place because, yeah, drug is different to mass which is different to, to natural which is different to conventional but the fundamentals are all the same and and uh, how the route to route to market and understanding that and, and the needs of the customer and the needs of the retailer they're all sort of the fundamentals are the same and it's interesting to see how they all work together even though tactically and um they're, they're different in execution yes many times and we we forget that you know, retailers and and manufacturers and producers are basically all trying to sell to the same people, and um, yeah, you know, and and you know, taking care of those taking care of those needs on both sides helps to grow products. And 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 speaking of which, what what's kind of the plan going forward with, you know, with Good Crisp, and is the canister the kind of the last frontier? Or have you got something else coming down the road? No, we think 
we think um, there's enough room for us to, to, to grow and to, to build a great brand um, in, in just the canister side of things. We don't need to be at this stage, you know, going out being a platform brand, as that's the word I keep getting here through, thrown around a lot these days. Um, you know, there, there's just enough opportunity in just focusing on, on one thing and doing it really well and, and really growing within one one category. Um, I think, you know, I've go back to sort of experience there. I've, I've done it myself where you sort of spread yourself too, too much. You're starting to deal with three, four, five different category managers having to buy five lots of separate data, managing, sort of trying to manage five lots of um, brand hierarchy across all of that. You know. yep. And it can be done and it can be very successful, but equally, um, you know, it can be very challenging. So we think there's enough enough focus for, for us just, just to be really good at canister chips. So we've got other flavors coming out at the end of the year. We're playing around with different formats and things, but really it's about just, just building our, our brand present brand brand presence on shelf. Um, we're yep. salty snacks. So it's impulse. It's, it's getting in front of people. It's good shelf merchandising. It's, it's, you know, letting people know about our product, getting it into their mouths through, you know, demos, sampling, all of those things. Um, there's a there's a lot a lot of work to be done just in that sort of area. So um, we've been relatively lucky in the first two years here in the US that that we've been fortunate to get good distribution, and that's um, we've, we've had that's a unique right. product, and and we've you know we've had great brokers in in uh, presence that have that have done a great job getting us out there into stores, um, and so then it's just capitalising on that on that distribution. I mean. This year alone, we launched, as you said, we want nationally with Walmart, and then next week we we launched nationally with Whole Foods. So there's not, I don't think there's too many brands. That, oh, congrats! You know, yeah, launch nationally with both of those two ends of the spectrum. So, um, <laughs> you know, we then sort of just starting to fill the middle out, but, fill- but then you know, capitalising <laughs> on that distribution. So fill, that, fill the middle for sure. Yeah, fill the middle. I mean, every every brand has challenges. You know, some some brands their challenge is distribution. Other, you know, others is like us is, is probably your brand awareness and getting out there and, and getting people to pick us up. Sometimes when you're the only canister chip in, in the store, that's a good thing, but it's also a difficult thing. You know, you get lost amongst the sea of bags. So yeah, we're just back to retailing 101. Um, right. So that, that's our focus. Yeah. Yeah. At, le- at least, you know, where I mean, other than being in a, a different health, healthier selection, at least, you know, that, that where you go on the shelf should be probably next to those other red cans and purple cans that, are already there, so it would work out. I, I was talking with somebody earlier this week about they asked the difference between, you know, how big companies look at, you know, extending a line versus smaller companies, and you know, and, and it quickly just came to my head. I said, you know, with a smaller company, you really think about what flavor is really going to grab people for my next product, and mm-hmm. at a larger company, you think about how much share is a new flavor going to steal from my core brands. <laughs> Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, that's true. Do I yep, really yep. want to launch strawberry, or am I going to just trade people, you know, across the product line? Um, so other, so Matt, other than just getting yep. a table at Expo and and flying, you know, three thousand miles and setting up, um, since we try to deliver, um, you know, the message to fellow entrepreneurs like yourself, what? What kind of general advice and counsel would you have for somebody, you know, trying to launch again a, a a healthier snack or a healthier beverage or whatever in in the U.S. For us, and what I content going also a little bit back about that new flavorings and, and where do we go from here? For me, it's something I keep reminding myself, and, and especially in the snack world, but I think it applies to 
to beverage and, and other areas as well is really be at the core of, of what you are and, and what you're delivering. And by that, for me, I mean it, taste is, is a fundamental thing. We, we are a snack product. People eat us because they want a treat. Their kid wants a treat. They want to feel good about themselves. They want to have a moment of, of you know, enjoying some, some food. So that, that is the fundamental need that, that our product fills. And so we really put that head and shoulders above everything else that, that we do. And whilst that sounds simple, it, you can get caught up, especially in the heart of the industry around what's the next fad? What do, well, I need to make this keto. I need to you know, do all these sort of things like that. And, and sometimes you can forget, and there's a wee concept here reminding ourselves, especially as we work on new product development, that, that taste is absolutely king. And so we, when I look at the Good Chris company and when we did the brand, we really identified three key pillars uh, of, of what we stood for, which was good taste, that was the main thing, uh, good ingredients. So we're always going to strive, and, and that's an ongoing thing to, right. to improve our ingredients, to, to work on that, to get them as good as possible. But the first one is always good taste. And so I would rather apologize for my ingredient deck than I would for my taste. Um, that's not to say that we, we don't focus on ingredients because it is one of our core pillars, but you know we have to find that balance there. And then the third part of our uh, of our, our brand is feeling good about yourself. And so that's that's the other part that we do. We talk about not feeling guilty about sort of you know mums who are a core customer of ours. You know, feeling good that they can say yes to their child. That you you know you don't have to be a bad mum and say no all the time. You're able to <laughs> give them something that that they want and they feel good eating it because they're like the rest of their kids at school. But you feel a little bit good about yourself. And so identifying those sort of key elements of, of what do we stand for, what are we providing, has really been a, a north star for us in helping us to, to really focus on on all areas of our business, whether it's product development, whether it's how do we market this product, whether how do we talk to retailers, why should we exist on their shelf, why do people pick us up? You know, we keep coming back to those three things. So that for me, when I think about um, – you know, developing or launching new brands or new new products or new concepts is really coming up with those basics. And with something that was even more, like we have a bit of experience or we talk to other Australian brands or other brands looking to get into the US market where they say, oh, you know, we've got this great product we've been selling in Australia. You know, of course it's going to do good in the US. We say, well, is it? Like, have you gone and tested it? Have you? Is there actually a demand for your product? Yes, it looks good. Yes, it's got great features. But do people actually want it? Um, and I think it's the same as well, whether you're based in Australia or whether you're based here. Do people actually want your product? Yes, it might be a great idea that you've had, um, but is, is there a demand? What's the competition like? Just just going back to those some of those core basics to understand, um, you know, because you, you'll spend a lot of time on packaging and pricing and margins and everything to make your idea work, but but really being clear that, that yes, this is an idea and there is a demand for this product, I think is is sometimes overlooked. I, I, I think, yeah, there's the, the, a friend of mine says, you know, you have to, have, you have to, you have to be able to put together a right to be on the shelf. There's no, yeah. right. It, it's, it's very simple. You need a reason to be there and, and, and people need a reason to buy you. And that's, that's what the business is, is pretty much all about. Um, yeah. And Matt, since, since it's sort of a unique situation, um, with you coming from Australia to here, uh, in general, for an entrepreneur and a businessman, what was the challenging thing that you had to deal with coming from Australia to the U.S.? Ooh, that's a 
Was there something of was... people, people not returning phone calls or what, what were things that are, you just would assume in Australia, but you get to the United States and it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's not the way they do it. The thing that took, well, and there was lots of things, to, to be frank, but some things that were surprising, not necessarily big deals, but going to your point on surprising, was one of the things that really I didn't understand was, was paying with check, to be frank. Like, I've never written a check in my life, uh, <laughs> let alone sort of had a checkbook or any of this sort of stuff like that. So, um, you know, to get paid by check and having weeks, um, you know, for it to arrive, which you know, Kihi does big, big multi-billion dollar companies are still writing checks, are still doing this. <laughs> like, it just that for me is you know, it's not a big deal, but it was just a really surprising thing that uh, that 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 is just very different to what we experience in in Australia and UK and other places of the world where it's all you know electronic payments and things like that. So th- those have been a couple. And look, doing the, the the route to market here in the US is different to to other to back in Australia. We're very much and it, it has some degree to do with the lesser number of retailers, but it's all very much direct to store. So um, in the sense that there's not there's not brokers, there's not distributors. You go in, you talk to the, the buyer, uh, they say yes, you deliver yeah. to their DC, they send out to all of their, you know, there's not so many layers, there's not so many different people in, involved, um, you know, in it. So just, just, just different ways of doing business, but... Uh, fundamentally you know easy enough to get your head around but yeah there are differences um but it's as i said back there's this core core things that are all very very similar and yeah there because there is a multi a multi-level that exists here in terms of distributors brokers and the fact that they're not they don't do the same things and it's not quite so you have to deal with managing brokers and distributors and if you're in anything to do with alcohol then you add a whole nother level on top of that, because right. you have all legal restrictions for distributors, everything has to be, you know, sort of a third party handoff. So it's a, a, a bit of a bit of a challenge, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, you can you can have. Uh, I mean, if you if you looked at the full spectrum, you could have a, a master distri- a master broker, uh, a broker, a distributor, a merchandising company to actually do it do it stores. There's four to five people in there between you and and the retailer, um, you know. So yeah, it's it's just there, a, there, a different there, way of doing it. There, there actually was a time when your broker used to do the merchandising. Yeah, and right. um and and in your advertising agency did the you know the, the consumer research analysis, not yeah. not your brokerage and whatever. That's that's one thing that has fundamentally changed. the The other impact I think that is huge has of course been Amazon, and yep. um you know within food um and within disruptive companies within food. Amazon has been just an amazing, um, you know, amazing growth and amazing place to work. And yet um, I still have conversations with people who are going, well, I really don't want to be on Amazon because they make too much money. And it's like, really? Okay. <laughs> so have you dealt with the distributor lately? <laughs> because um, yeah, they're, really, yeah. they're really not asking for much more than the distributor is. And they're really providing a, a lot more than that. But the key thing is being able to actually see like keywords and stuff of what people use to find to eventually get to your product and to an advertising person. That's just like amazing because you were always guessing about that. You know, you knew you were buying households, you were doing surveys, you were doing, but you never really got that idea of what it was it that we said or did that caused you to go out and buy this car, you know? Um, And yet at Amazon, you can look at 
that for hours and see exactly how the person got from this word to that word to your page and did they buy your product, didn't they? So it's it's an amazing. How do, how do you handle from um, a corporate standpoint, how do you handle e-commerce now and what are you what are you looking at doing in the future? So we, our product does, we ship through Amazon. Uh, we have, uh, we're still working through it to be perfectly frank. Uh, we, we have a large number of breakages from, from our product. doesn't ship real well. Ah, yes. It's that sort of UPS drop kick sort of mentality that we yes. get on the doorstep that sort of um, is a little bit unfortunate. So we're working through that from a tactical, but, you know, just, just purely from exactly as you're saying, there's so much data there. There's so many shoppers there. So we, we do we do sell on Amazon. Um, we have started to do um, work on our own uh, website and, and direct to consumer, and that's more about just trying to to capture some of that customer. So yeah, you know we have a great platform through Instagram with thirteen thousand likes. We, we sell a lot through Amazon, but but we don't own any of that. We don't have any of that. You know we're at the mercy of of algorithms. Um, if we can try and to some degree build up a some sales on our website we can then start to get emails we can start to build communities we can start to understand and talk directly with our consumer so that's more the the mindset of why we're looking at at, at pushing some of those sales through our website um just to sort of have that access which we can't get from other platforms but definitely um you know amazon is really the key and, and the major driver there of, of online sales without a doubt yeah it will be interesting to see how the other you know, whether it's, you know, Walmart, Kroger, um, Albertsons, of course, um, you know, develop their e-commerce platforms and, um, you know, push, push forward uh, with that. And it's um, a lot of it is going to, I think, for, for you, from your standpoint, from a manufacturing standpoint is this acceptance of, do I have to be in the fulfillment business as well now, right? <laughs> as, yeah. as opposed to FBA, Amazon, where I just ship, I ship pallets to Amazon and I don't worry about it after that, you know, so that, and that's crucial because a lot of companies are not set up to do that, particularly if they're with, if they're with co-manufacturers or co-packers and whatever. So that's a, it's a brand new challenge. It's like, I I didn't want to be in the fulfillment business. I wanted to be in the food business, you know, but you almost, almost have to be. That's great. Um, So uh, let me ask you about, you know, the, um, in, in the challenge of you have, you know, you have a huge competitor, conventional competitor in the category. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of margins and pricing and whatever, that's not because you're, you're two different products, but you're still comparable. How did you position Good Crisp versus, you know, the, the bad guy Pringles? How did that happen? Yeah, so we, we're we working our way towards it. So we still play a lot in the natural channel, even like with Walmart, where we're in the gluten-free set, things like that. So you're right, there's there's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, margin, a lot of um, war chest to some degree to sort of before you start to take someone like Pringles on, on head on. And, and not that we, we see ourselves, we think there's enough, um, room in, in the category for, for both of us without, without a shadow of doubt. Um, if you're a hardcore Pringles consumer that has no problem, you know, you're buying a dollar fifty and you're getting a product and you don't feel any problems with that, well, that, that's fantastic. That's, that's not our, our customer. You're not, have, you're not my have, audience. Yeah. Co- correct. Correct. We, you know, our product is, is more expensive on shelf. I mean, we have to pay for 
non-GMO certifications, gluten-free certifications. We have to buy, you know, natural flavorings. We have to do all those things like that. And, and obviously we have one-tenth of the uh, manufacturing efficiencies and volumes that, that they have. But, um, you know, we, we feel strongly and, and our sales show it and our consumers show it that, that people that um, would like to buy the form and the product um, are prepared to pay a bit more for it to get it with the attributes that, that you know, are important to them. Yes, we see ourselves as, as, as we talked about at the start, the, the healthy Pringle, but we're growing to be more than that. We need to be a canister chip brand in our own right. We want the Good Chris company to 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 be a strong brand. Um, I strongly feel that you can't rely on product attributes to be your point of difference. Right. Um, like I said, in, in Australia, if I walk down the snack aisle, most most chips are you know gluten free, already or, yes. or, already like that, uh, and more and more that's going to happen. I believe over time that there won't be a natural food and, and a conventional food. It'll just be called food. And that's a great place. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it when the world gets back to that point. Yeah, we were there at one point and then we all fell in love with science and it all went off the rails, but but we'll come back to that point. And so we need to then, well, other than just standing on our, our product attributes, what else can we, how do we build brand personality? How do we build products and innovation within the canister chips that, that resonates with customers and, and is different and, and they're willing to pick us up? So they're really how we focus on it and, and what we look at. Um, yeah, we are in the same format. We're in the same thing as Pringles, but we don't focus a lot on on that. Um, we focus on the bits that we can be different and we can bring value to to a customer that wants it. Yeah, and and that does that does your brand, you know, a, a good service because it it helps to define it, you know, going going forward. Um, so. It, it, Matt, one of the things we, we try to do is uh, um, in, in getting, so we're sort of near the end of the program, is to pick your brain a little bit to try to find, I know you've talked about advice and your pillars and whatever, but uh, do you have a particular one word of counsel or one word that sort of sums up your philosophy or approach for, for you and Good Crisp? Well, I was thinking about it from a from an entrepreneur and, and from sort of starting a business and, and doing that. And my, my words are a hyphened word, if that's all right. But for, for me, it's, it's big picture. And, and I, you know, it's something that I have to constantly keep coming back to from a brand perspective, but also from a, from an entrepreneur and, and, and building a business. We get so, it's very easy to get caught up in, in the everyday things and the detail and the weeds and all of that. But, but really, I find that step, taking a step back, when I, when I get clarity, when I feel good about what I'm doing, when I feel energized, is those times that I do to step back and, and look at the big picture and look what we're doing, talking about, hey, you know, we, we, we've got a business that's doubling its revenue every, every year. We've got a, a product that, that people want. Yeah, you know, we can get into velocities and I wish our positioning was better here and how do we manage our cash flow and, how, and all that stress there. But, but taking a step back and looking at that big picture and then even it's even bigger than that as well it's hey i've got a wonderful family we're, we're healthy we're happy we're here this is you know as entrepreneurs we, we tie up our identity to our products and, and our yes. brand and and to some degree that's a strength but it's also a, a real weakness and we can start to really if that starts going the wrong direction it starts to pull our self-worth and all of those things with it to say hey you know it's taken me a while to realize, but there's a lot of pride built up into this and, and I want this to succeed because it's my brand and, and I'll look like a failure if I don't. But equally, 
if it doesn't work and it all falls over and, and we can't get it there and, and we don't have a product the customer wants, well, that's okay as well. Like it's not it's not the end of the world. As I said, we're, we're still happy. We're still breathing. We can still pick up the pieces and build a life. Like it's important to keep those big pictures in, in what we're doing um, and, and, in, and an entrepreneur because we do very much get caught up in the day-to-day and, and the, the minute things and we need to be mindful of it. That's great. That's a very good, very good outlook. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time um, to be, you know, with us today and to share your story and, and your advice. I want everyone to know the Good Crisp Company. First of all, obviously at Walmart, we've talked about that. Soon in Whole Foods, which will be great. Um, yes. avail- available, of course, at Amazon and also at thegoodcrispcompany.com. Don't forget, it's thegoodcrispcompany.com. And he'd love to have you go to the website and then send an email and tell them how how good the stuff is. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Thank Very you. important. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you out there for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. Whether you're an early stage startup, a local growing business, or if you just want to expand your distribution, Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know. That's kitchentoshelf.com, kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. This is Steve Clear. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.